Let us pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for waking us this morning. Thank you for your daily provision and your grace given to us so freely in Jesus Christ. Father, as we look at your word, please help me to have uh, humility and a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. And please make your appeal through me to the hearts of your people. And please build us up in your holy truth. And teach us, Lord, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, make us more like Jesus than we have been before. Please sanctify us by your truth. Father, we pray this for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we have been looking at this uh, series on victorious living, um, leading us up to uh, the victory that Jesus won at his resurrection for all who believe in him. And we have been endeavoring to learn uh, things about Christ on his way to Calvary. And uh, this morning, I want us to begin looking at some of the last things that Jesus said when he was on the cross, uh, commonly uh, known as the, last, the seven last words. Um, but there's much we can learn about our Savior and about what it means to live in victory as we watch him going through his suffering and um, trusting in his Father. So let's look at the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke uh, in chapter 23. I want us to think about the promises of pardon and paradise that we uh, have uh, in this passage. Luke 23, I'll begin reading at verse 26. Please hear God's word. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? I want to stop there and think about uh, the fact that Jesus calls us to weep. And he calls us to weep in view of God's judgment. Jesus calls us to weep in view of God's judgment. Here we have Jesus Christ given a cross to bear, and at this point he is not able to 
continue to carry the cross beam across his back. And so they seize a man, Simon of Cyrene, and make him carry it on Jesus' behalf. What a blessed service that must have been for him to render to the Lord. And there are these women and mourners lamenting for Jesus. And, um, but Jesus does something very interesting. You would think that he would receive their, their pity uh, because of his destiny at Calvary, the suffering he was to endure. But in the midst of his suffering, Jesus turns to them and says, daughters of Jerusalem, which is a term of endearment, daughters. He shows his compassion and his great love for them, his passion for them. And he says, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and weep for your children. And, um, and he calls them uh, to weep as he had done earlier in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, we have uh, written there, it says, and when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And uh, they didn't know. And uh, in verse 44 of Luke 19, it says um, at the end of that verse that they did not know the time of their visitation. They didn't understand what God was doing. It was hidden from their eyes. You know, who would have thought that God would bring in salvation and the renovation of all things through weakness, through brokenness, and not through the, the might of his powerful word as he brought in the first creation. He just said, let it be, and it came to be. Or, or through a, a David who killed his, conquered his ten thousands, or through a wise uh, dealer like Solomon. But, but God didn't do it exactly that way. He came through humility. He came through weakness. He came through tenderness and gentleness. And he, he gave himself over to sinners and rebellious people. And so Jesus calls them to, to weep for themselves and to weep for their children because, because ultimately, um, when, when we in our sin, we look at Jesus, uh, like the prophet said in Isaiah 53, when we saw Jesus, we saw him uh, smitten. We saw him stricken and afflicted uh, by God. And we look at Jesus on Calvary through the lens of our sinful eyes and we say, what on earth has he done to, 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 to come to this state after all of his good works and all of his mighty words? Uh, how on earth did this happen that he would wind up on a cross humiliated, broken. But the Bible says he's, he was bearing our griefs. He was carrying our sorrows. And, and he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, the chastisement was upon him, and that was so peace could come to us. And he was being wounded so we could be healed. That we're the sheep who have gone astray. We're the ones who have turned each one to our own way. And the Lord is laying on Him the iniquity of us all. And so when we see Christ going through His suffering and going through His, his trial and His tribulation, we have to see in that moment that that's our sin being borne by Him. That's why His state is so wretched. That's why His state is so broken. It's not because of Him, it's because of us. 
It's our sin that put Him on the cross. It's His love that put Him on the cross. All of those things came together. And so Jesus says, weep for yourselves and weep for your children because they didn't recognize the time. They didn't recognize the Messiah. He came to a world that that He created and they they didn't recognize Him. He came to His own house. They didn't want Him. And because they rejected Him, Jesus says there's coming a day, and it came uh, in in, in some fashion. It came in A.D. 70 when Titus sacked Jerusalem and burned it to the ground and wore the people of Jerusalem out because they had rejected the Messiah. That in history, Jesus prophesied that because they rejected the Messiah, that this Lamb, this Lamb that came to bear sin, They didn't want Him. They didn't get it. And because they didn't know the time of their visitation, because they didn't recognize Him, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in verse 8, that if the leaders had known, none of the rulers of this age understood this. They didn't understand the wisdom of God, the way He was going about bringing salvation. It says if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't understand the love of God. What eye had not seen, ear had not heard, and never had entered into the heart or imagination of man what God had prepared for those who love Him. They didn't understand that love of God. And so you see here this, this, this horrific image in, in Luke 23 of, of Jesus saying there's coming a day when, when people will cry out to the mountains to fall on them and to the hills to cover them. What's he talking about? He's saying that there's coming a day and it came, you know, perhaps it might come in, in some sense again, but, but Jesus is ultimately referring to the time when he would visit those who rejected him with judgment. You see this played out in the book of Revelation, chapter 6. Verse 16, the same language is used there. In chapter 6, verse 16, it says uh, that they they hide themselves uh, in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You know, Jesus is the Lamb that was slain. He was the Lamb who came to bear sin. But when we reject that Lamb who came to bear sin, that Lamb's got a mean streak. You know, lambs are kind of gentle animals, you know? I mean, nobody, if a lamb ran in this room, nobody, they would say, oh, that's cute. Look at the little lamb. Cute little lamb. Look at a fuzzy little lamb. The, little, the, the boys and girls will go over and, sh- and touch the lamb and feel its fur. But, but this is the lamb that was slain for sin. And when the sinner says to the slain lamb, I'm not interested. I reject you. That lamb's got a mean streak. That lamb's got fangs. <laughs> the wrath of the lamb. And God puts those imagery together because, because in view of the cross of Calvary, in view of the love of Jesus Christ, When we say, I don't want it, I don't need it, I reject it. Well, there's nothing else for you but wrath. There's nothing else for you but judgment. 
And so what Jesus says here, Jesus does not need anybody's pity. Jesus does not need anybody mourning over Him or weeping over Him. He came to bear sin and He needs people. He wants people and desires people to weep over themselves. Weep over their own sin. Weep over their brokenness. Weep over their iniquity. Because He has come to bear it all for us. And for those who weep, for those who grieve over themselves and over their sins, Jesus calls us to weep in view of God's judgment. But is judgment all that there is? Is that all we have to look forward to? If people treated Jesus this way when He came to save them, if they reject them, what on earth will happen to them then? The Bible says that if we turn away from Jesus, the only thing we have to look forward to is a fearful judgment, a consuming fire that will consume its recipients. That's the only thing left to look forward to when we turn away from Jesus is judgment and damnation. There is no hope, there is no help for anyone turning away from Jesus Christ. And so, thank God that that is not the last word. We keep reading in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on His right and one on His left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And you see in the midst of all of this suffering, the scorn at which they treated Jesus Christ. This, this, the last verse, verse 38, this is the king of the Jews, is, is in this context more of a, a, a sarcasm. Here's the king of the Jews on a cross. You know, how wonderful is your king? It's a way of looking down on him, and the soldiers mocked him, and everybody was, was making fun of him, and, and sarcastically and blasphemingly saying to him, if you're the Christ, save yourself. What's wrong with you? And, uh, and in the midst of all of this, this darkness, this moral darkness, Jesus is there saying, Father, forgive. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a wonderful Savior. You know, when we have weeped and grieved for our sin, that weeping should lead to us worshiping the One who intercedes for us because of our sin. He intercedes. He prays for us. He ever lives to intercede for us. What a wonderful Savior that Jesus is. Jesus knows He is loved. He says, Father. He knows He is accepted. He knows He is cared for by His Father. He is entrusting Himself to His Father. And He is asking His Father to forgive those who are tormenting Him, who are torturing Him, 
who are making fun of Him, who are humiliating Him, who are blaspheming Him. What about what this teaches us when you're going through and people are humiliating you? Doesn't Jesus, says forgiveness of us, teach us to forgive others and always stand ready to be forgiving towards others? In Matthew chapter 18, we have that wonderful story about forgiveness and how there's the one servant who owes the, his master so much money, more than he could ever repay. And then he pleads with his master and cries out to his master, oh, please forgive me, I'll pay back everything you owe. And his math, master cancels his entire debt. He says, don't worry about it, forget about it. And then he goes out and finds one of his servants who owes him pocket change and grabs him and starts to rough him up, grip him up. Pay back what you owe me. And he pleads with him, just like he pleaded with his master. But he won't have it. He wants the money. You owe me. And, 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 and the, the word that comes to him, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? How easy is it for us to forgive people? People do us wrong, and we say, oh, this is going to take some time. Please forgive me, or I have to think about it. Or you hear people say those terrible words, I will never forgive them. Haven't you ever heard people say that? People professing Christ, I'll never forgive them for what they did to me. Well, that shows the heart of someone who doesn't know God. It shows the heart of someone who's never received forgiveness. Because whatever anybody has done to you or to me, we have done so much more against God. And yet God said, forget about it. I won't even remember it anymore. It's all under the blood. It's all washed away. And he brings us in. He adopts us like we heard in the, in the pastoral prayer. He adopts us. He calls us his own. But then sometimes we're so lenient and so stingy when it comes to others and they've, they've hurt us. How could they do that to me? They know me. How could they do that? How could they say that about me? And, but what have you and I said about Jesus? What have you and I did to Jesus? We should be forgiving. Jesus didn't owe anybody anything. He didn't have to forgive anybody. He could have just said, all of you can go to you nowhere. It was true. We deserve it. But in the midst of us abusing Him and torturing Him, He's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't see the whole picture. They don't know the way you and I know. And isn't that true of everybody who sins against us? Isn't it true that, that, it's, isn't it true that God knows everything about everything? And you and I know everything about nothing? Isn't it true that there's ignorance in all of our sin? That sin darkens our understanding? And that when people sin against us and when we sin against people, there's, there's some ignorance in what we're doing. That we're not looking at things the way God looks at things. We're not seeing things the way they really are. 
And that's one of the reasons why we fall on our faces morally. That's one of the reasons why people fall on their faces morally. But sometimes, you know, that sinisterness in us says, no, they knew what they were doing. (laughs) They knew how they were hurting me. But we've got to give people the benefit of the doubt, don't we? Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. We have to look at our Savior and see how he is crying out to God to forgive us for our sin. And in view of that intercession on our behalf, we've got to start praying for others. The Bible says pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. You see this over in the, in the, in the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 6. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse, verse 27 and, and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And you see what it's all about in verse 36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Have you received the mercy of God? If you're a Christian, of course you have. Even if you're not, you've shared the mercy of God. If you've received the mercy of God, you've received the grace of God, may may I gently say, how, how dare you withhold it from someone else? How dare I withhold it from someone else? We've got to show the mercy that's been given to us. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repent. It's the kindness of God. It's not payback. Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. But we are called to be merciful. We are called to be merciful as our Father in Heaven was merciful. As we continue to read on You see this in verse 39 of Luke 23. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus calls us to wisdom in view of God's promises. Jesus calls us to wisdom in view of God's promises. He calls us to wisely assess the situation. That we are, we are outside of Christ. We are, we are men who are sentenced to death under the same condemnation as any other sinner. And we look at this, these people on the cross and it says in the other Gospel accounts that both of the criminals at, at one point were, were railing at Jesus and, 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 and complaining against Him. But then in the midst of, of, of all of this, the Spirit of God got a hold of one of the criminals next to Jesus. And his eyes were opened. And as the one criminal blasphemes and sarcastically says, Aren't you to Christ? Save yourself and save us too. And see, he's only concerned about the consequences of his sin. He's sorry about the consequences. That's not repentance. Repentance is, 
is, I mean, we can be sorry about the consequences, but if all we're sorry about is the consequences of our sin, that's not repentance. That's self-love. What breaks the heart in real repentance is I have offended the God who loves me. I have offended the Lord of the universe. I have offended the One who created me to be a certain way. And I have let Him down. That's what breaks the heart in real repentance. But if I'm just concerned about, well, Mommy's going to give me a spanking if I do this, and that's what really beats, beats me up and breaks my heart, is that now I'm going to get it. And now, now, the, now the, the whip's going to come out. Now I have to deal with the consequences of my wrongdoing. That's all about me. But when I don't care about the consequences, like this other one, he says, I deserve, we deserve this. We're getting the condemnation we deserve. We have earned this. But what breaks him up more is that he says, I want Jesus to remember me. And he looks at Jesus in the midst of his last hour and says, would you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? And, and Jesus gives him a profound promise. This day you'll be with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with, from the, with the Lord. And so when we, when we see our sin and we're called to grieve over it in view of God's judgment and we're called to, uh, to worship, Jesus calls us to worship in view of God's mercy. And then once you see God's mercy, God calls us to wisdom, to go after that mercy of God, to trust in it. And not only that, but to rebuke those who reject Jesus. You know, every time there's... Uh, an insult towards Christ, there's ignorance about Christ. This man is insulting Jesus because he doesn't know. And this other man, this other criminal, is rebuking him, calling him to fear God, calling him to recognize the sentence and the condemnation that he's under is something he deserves. And the only hope he has in this state is to look to Jesus. It's the same with every one of us. The only hope we ever will have is in Christ Jesus. And so the only thing that we can do, the wisest thing we can do, as it says in, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 2, it says, uh, Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This man was blessed because he took refuge in Jesus. And in view of the mercy of God, you and I have to be wise in our dealings with other people. The Bible says, he who is wise captures souls. That we have to be wise and winsome as we interact with people in this world, calling them to repentance, calling them to recognize the sentence of judgment and condemnation that is upon them. The Bible says, who does not believe in the Son is already under the wrath of God. They're already condemned because they haven't believed in the testimony of God's Son. And we, by God's grace, as believers, have to walk sometimes that tightrope of telling people that they're criminals. They're under condemnation. They're under a sentence from God, even though they feel like everything's okay with them. I feel great. I've been to the doctor. He gave me the bill of good health. But your soul is not great. Your soul is lost. It's dead to God and dead to sin. You know, oftentimes I talk to people who are atheists and, and they, they say, well, I don't feel anything for God. I don't, well, 
you know, duh. The Bible says you're dead in sin. You're spiritually dead. dead. Do dead people feel things? I don't know when the last time you saw a dead body, but next time, uh, con- conduct your own experiment. Go up and touch. Just push the dead body. See if it moves. See if he says, excuse me, may I help you? If he does, run. It's not going to happen. Dead people don't talk. And so if a dead body, a dead human being is not going to respond, a spiritually dead person is not going to respond either to God. The only thing that can bring, uh, bring someone back from the dead is the Word of God. The Word of Christ. Remember Jesus outside of Lazarus' tomb? He said, Lazarus, come out. He came out. You don't feel anything. Get in the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Ask God. God, you're there. Everybody says you're there. I don't know whether you're there. If you are there, speak to me. The Bible says if you seek me, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me, God says. But you've got to seek Him. God's not going to zap you. It's not like an electrical storm. The Bible says you have to seek God. Seek His face early while there is time. The Bible says in the book of, Col- in the book of uh, first, Second Corinthians, it says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Will you get before the Word of God? Read the Word of God. Ask God who you know or don't know. I don't know whether you're there, God, but if you're there, everybody says this is your Word. Well, I'm reading your Word. And if this really is your Word, I want to know it's your Word. If if, if this is really the Word of God, wouldn't you want to know it's God's Word? If there was a God, wouldn't you want to know there's a God? Well, Jesus shows us that there's a God. I mean, that's obvious. Jesus is history. He's a historical being who came to this earth Not even the the people of his day who didn't believe in him deny him. They even say, yeah, he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. We all know that. That was common knowledge. That would be like trying to tell somebody sitting here right now that that 9-11 never happened. We know it happened. We lived through it. People of this day lived through it. They knew it happened. They knew he was crucified. They knew he was buried. They knew he was raised from the dead. Jesus calls us to wisdom. He calls us to be wise in our dealing, calling people to repentance, calling people to faith, calling people to believe and to to possess the pardon that only Jesus can give, to possess possess paradise. What a wonderful thing for this man, a robber, condemned and sentenced. Can't you see yourself there, condemned and sentenced before Jesus Christ, but looking to the cross of Christ and saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes this is a king. He's got a kingdom. His kingdom's coming. Oh, please remember me. And what words he heard from Jesus' mouth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What a wonderful promise given to a sentenced man. Today, I'll see you later in paradise. 
What a wonderful thing. Don't you want to know if you don't know now Jesus' words over your life, you'll be with me in paradise. And then it happens. Jesus dies. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. I heard a minister one time say two suns can't shine at the same time. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the old system of sacrifice, God ripped it up. said it's no good anymore. The substance has died. God opened the way to the most holy place through the death of Jesus. In the book of Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, it says in verse 19, It says there, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest before God, Jesus' flesh was torn. The temple curtain was torn because Jesus' flesh was torn. The way to God is now opened up for everybody. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting from uh, Psalm 31. It's a psalm that talks about someone being unfairly treated, mistreated. And they, they entrust themselves to the Father who judges righteously. God always judges righteously. God never makes a mistake with His judgment. He's always faithful, always righteous in every single one of His judgments, and Jesus entrusted Himself to His Father who judges righteously. You and I need to do the same thing. You and I are going to receive unfair treatment more than what we've already received. Life is not fair. Sometimes life in the church is not fair. It's unfortunate, but true. There's all kinds of ways that you and I get mistreated in this life. And you can get bitter, you can get angry, you can seek to get even, or you can trust your Father who judges righteously. Jesus left this world completely trusting His Father. All of the, all of the evil that He experienced, all of the, 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 the wickedness that He had to endure, He didn't retaliate, He didn't seek vengeance, the Bible says He came to save. He didn't come to, to judge people. He came to save people. He's coming to judge people one day because people don't recognize the fact that He came to save them. That's the last thing that you can throw away. Is If you throw away Calvary, you're done. You're a goner. But Jesus left this world completely trusting His Father. Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. And having said this, He breathed His last. And and even the centurion, who it says the soldiers were mocking him, this centurion gets a wake-up call. He begins to praise God, confessing the righteousness and innocence of Jesus Christ. God can use your humble endurance of suffering and insult for the good of others if you trust your Father. 
But if you try to get even, and you try to pay back, and get bitter, and get angry, and start to pout, God can't use that witness. You and I become just like everybody else, just mean people. But if we know that paradise is ours, it's our possession, I'm going to glory, and no matter what has happened to me in this life, there is a God in heaven who's going to say innocent, righteous over my life. He's going to declare you and me just as righteous and just as sinless as Jesus Christ. He's going to say, welcome home. He's going to say, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Master. You've been faithful over a few things. Now here's much more to be faithful over. And, and knowing that about your Father, knowing that that reality is what stands waiting for you, that there is a Father who stands to embrace you and receive you, and not to have any blame upon you, that gives you grace to navigate and maneuver in the midst of all of the mess in this world, where people are constantly looking at you funny, suspicious of you, bitter against you, angry, dealing with you in an unfair way. You've got a Father in heaven. You entrust yourself to Him. No hair can fall from your head unless God says so. That's a major promise. God's up there numbering your hairs and not one can drop unless He says so. And if He says so, it's good. God calls us to win in view of God's paradise. He calls us to win. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, we close with these thoughts. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, well, first in chapter 2, verse 23, it says of Jesus, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And it says that he gave himself um, as an example for us to follow in his steps. In chapter 4 of, of 1 Peter, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Sometimes it seems like you as a Christian always seem to get the short end of the stick. You ever feel that way? I must be the only one, but anyway. But sometimes as, as believers, sometimes you feel like, why is this always happening to me? And, um, and the Bible says, don't be surprised. You know, Satan is real. He knows you're a believer. He'll do everything he can to mess up your witness, try to get you off track. The Bible says don't be surprised at the fiery trial as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then he says that towards the end of that, uh, that paragraph, he says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While doing good. Jesus was entrusting himself to his Father while he suffered, and when he was suffering, he was doing good. You know, he was silent with respect to reviling and threatening, but he was not silent with respect to showing love to those who hurt him.
and because of the promises that you have of being pardoned and being a possessor of paradise, you and I are called to love and to forgive and to bear witness and to trust as Jesus did in this passage. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you that Jesus calls us to weep over our sin. It's the only way to get it right. That's where victory begins. And Father, we thank you and we worship you that, that for those who weep, there's, there's, a, there's a Savior who prays for us to be forgiven and his prayers are heard and answered. And Father, help us in view of our forgiveness to always stand ready prayerfully asking God to bless those who curse us, to do good to those who despitefully use us and abuse us, to be merciful just like you were merciful to us. Lord, help us to be rich in our thinking how you have forgiven us for everything and help us in light of that to forgive anyone for anything. And Father, I pray that you would, in light of of, of your mercy, help us, Lord, to be wise in our dealing with others who would add insult to injury by rejecting Jesus, that we would call them with gentleness and with urgency to trust in Jesus and to recognize the sinful state they're in. And Lord, help us not to be people who try to pay others back or get bitter or get angry, but trust you. You're fair and you're righteous and you will take care of your own. Father, help us to love you and to serve you to that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.